Thank you, Brother John. Let's open our Bibles to the book of First Chronicles, chapter 29. First Chronicles, chapter 29. And there is quite a bit of power and quite a bit of truth packed into those songs that we're singing this morning. And love so amazing, so divine certainly does demand our soul, our life, our all. We're going to talk about love this morning. The message this morning is love under control, love under control. First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 3, I suppose I should turn there too. So the question on everyone's minds this morning is, wait, does Pastor Caleb preach shorter or longer than Pastor John? How we, I, have, I, have, I have, by the way, regarding that, I have two pieces of information. It's sort of good news, bad news. Good news is I have a watch. Bad news is the, the battery's been dead for like two months. And I, I have this task. I keep forward. I'm, I'm not joking about this. I keep forwarding it to the next day off that I have. Get watch battery replaced. Get watch battery replaced. Get watch. And uh, I just, the Lord knew. The Lord, for such a time as this. And so the Lord, you know, I was just thinking about this. David, you know, I, I, the psalmist said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord, right? Never said anything about being glad to get out. Never said, it never says anything about getting out at all. So why don't we just, why don't we just, why don't we just pitch a tent right here? Why don't we just camp here for a little bit, and we'll have a good time in church this morning. Um, I, I do have another piece of information. If you're looking for data, you know, you want some data to know what's going on here, another piece of information, I only have a page and a half of notes. I mean, do with that what you will. Uh, I, I have heard, I mean, I mean, Pastor Sowell used to get up here with a torn off piece of napkin and three words and bring it for an hour. So I... I don't know exactly uh, what that says about me that I can't do anything like that, but the Lord wants to use his word today. And so let's look into it together. I want us to see, uh, this is really going to be more of a launching off point than anything. Uh, I have, I'm burdened with this topic this morning, and um, the Lord has been using a lot of scripture to speak to my heart about, and I hope it's a help to you. Let's look at First Chronicles 29, verse 3. This is David exhorting the people, and David says, Moreover, because I have set... My affection to the house of my God, I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. And then David goes on. You know what's happening here. David is thinking about and preparing for the building of the temple. God and his tab, God and his ark, the ark of the covenant, has been residing in a temporary residence for years centuries even. It's a tent, a very nice tent, mind you, but a tent. For those of you who ever had to stay in some temporary housing, you know that no matter how nice it is, whether it's a rental, think about pastor uh, living in the rental house they're living in now, I'm sure it's very nice, uh, but it's not home. It's not home. And David had a desire to build a permanent house for the presence of God in Israel. And what he says about this, though, is very interesting. David was not just uh, enraptured with the idea. He was not just enamored. As a matter of fact, I don't know how David quite arrived at the point that he did here about the house of God. You see that when he talks about the house of God needs to be built, and I've set aside of my own proper good, in other words, from my own bank account, from my own possessions, I've set apart this much gold and this much silver, and here's what I'm planning to do. He was the king, mind you. Now, the king could, if he wanted to raise some money, he could... He could go get it if he wanted to. But he says, I, I'm going to do something. I'm going to sacrifice of my own proper good. How did David reach this point? I, I want to say that the key is in a phrase that 
to a modern-day American, a Westerner, would be kind of strange. It'd be one that we'd see in Scripture, and it might sort of glance off of us. It might not reach home. And I'm, my prayer this morning is that the Word of God would reach home on this point. David says in verse 3, if you look, moreover, because I have, I have the next three words are going to be the key, and it's going to talk about love under control. What are those next three words? Set my affection. Set my affection. Would you pray with me this morning for the message? Father, we need your presence this morning. We're thankful that we have uh, the sword of the Spirit, Lord, that we can open it. We can read it, even in our own language, that we can read it, uh, Lord, because of the blessings that we enjoy in this country, the freedom that we have, the, the prosperity, the education, Lord, that we have. But, Lord, all is vain in this unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. And so I pray, Lord, for an anointing to explain and understand the Scripture. And I pray, Lord, for your Spirit. Lord, it, it blows where it listeth. Lord, we know that. But I pray that your Spirit would do a mighty work in the hearts of your people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have set my affection. I have set my affection. This sort of flies, this very, this simple phrase flies in the face of how we think of love and of affection uh, in our world today. As a matter of fact, when we want to talk about two people who meet one another and then they develop a relationship, a close, romantic, intimate relationship and get married, what do we say about those two people? We say that they what in love? We say that they tripped in love. We say that they just sort of stumbled into love. We, as a matter of fact, we could say, say things about people like, man, that person is drunk in love. In other words, that person is completely out of control. It was just, you know what they say about these chance meetings where people meet for the first time and they stumble into love, or they trip and fall headlong into love. You know what they say about these things? They say they are serendipitous. It's, it's just this, what is serendipity? Isn't it something like, it's like a happy coincidence. It's just this thing that happened that you never could have planned and never could have predicted, but there we are. We are, and now we're falling. We're falling, falling in love. And then some people continue to fall. They just continue to fall. And then I tell you, we know what part of the problem is with that. If you can fall into love, what else could you also do? You could certainly fall out of love, could you not? If love were really nothing other than the involuntary propulsion of oneself uh, into a deep and personal relationship. That's not what, that's, but you, here's the thing. We all know that's not how love works. Or we know this, that's not how love is supposed to work. It's not how love is supposed to work. Well, this is great. Pastor Caleb is trampling all over uh, the affection that I have for my spouse. This is wonderful. Thanks, Pastor Caleb. So you're saying we did it the wrong way. We fell in love and we love each other and we got married. And you're just saying we all did it the wrong way. That's not, that's not the claim that I'm making. As a matter of fact, it's a wonderful thing to find someone with, with whom you connect in such a way that your affection is stirred up, that you will use the term. We can't even, we can't even break ourselves of these terms and fall in love with and get married. The Bible says the way of a man with a maid is something too wonderful even to understand. There's something that's really quite, uh, would the word magical be wrong? The word magical would be a little too Disney, wouldn't it? But there's something, there's, there's something about it. There's something about it. It's just, it's just beyond our reach to really understand and get a hold of it. There's something, you could use the word ethereal, there's something wonderful, something wonderful about it. Now that's, that's falling in love. What about, what about our love? What about our love? Is our love something that just grows in whatever direction it feels like growing? 
Uh, do our affections, are those just uh, programmed into us at birth because of the way that you were made? You are going to love this, and you're going to love this, and you're going to dislike this, and you're going to dislike this. Now, all of us are born, all of us are born with a dislike for cats. Okay, so all of us, all of us are born, all of us are born with that. Now, but here's, Christine, there's good news, there's good news. Because we know that what I've just said is false. Or because we know that, no, we, there are some things that maybe you have a proclivity toward, things that you like more than others would naturally like, or dislike more than others would naturally dislike. Of course, that's true. But that doesn't mean that the things that you dislike, you will always dislike. The things to which you're attracted, you must be attracted to, and you must indulge. So just because when I'm driving down the street and there's a cat in the road, just because, just because, just because my right foot starts to feel a little heavier in that moment, doesn't mean it has to be. Doesn't mean I need to push down on that accelerator. And by the way, I never have. I never have. It only took one time being in our van, uh, in the Cheaty bus, as we affectionately called it. It only took one time being in that van, sitting on the wheel well, because that's where the cool kids sit in the Cheaty bus, sitting on the wheel well, uh, running over a possum, to realize I never want to run over anything ever again, even a cat. But we know, we know that there, are, there may be some things that we have a natural inclination towards, and certain things maybe we dislike naturally, but we know that we can choose those things that we will love. The world tells you that you cannot. The world would have you believe that you should rather obey your impulses. Uh, Sprite, very famously, if you remember, the, I, I don't, maybe, it's still, maybe it's still the phrase they use today, I don't know, but it used to be, obey your thirst. See, that's a really good marketing strategy. A uh, really bad theology and really, really bad way to live your life. Imagine if you just obeyed your impulses. Imagine if you just obeyed your impulses. Some of you are like, no, I know. <laughs> I know exactly what that's like. You know, there are certain days, there are certain days where I, obey, I have obeyed my impulses too much. You know, the other day, God bless the crotzes. Let's talk nice about them because I don't see them. Let's talk nice about them. Uh, the crotches the other day came in, you know, they, they man the vending machine and they stock that and the extra that comes in from the vending machine, the profit that's made, helps to support the teen group and helps send people to camp and things like that. And they came in and they brought a box of donuts from Strand's Bakery and uh, I obeyed my impulses three times. <laughs> and so here's the thing, you're like, yeah, but if it's, if you, I mean, if, if you want it, do it. If you want it. That's really bad advice. You know, uh, I felt pretty awful later. Pretty awful. You know, my wife made a delicious meal for dinner, and I didn't enjoy it uh, like I should have. Why? Because I obeyed my impulses. Here's the thing. We, we, know, we know a couple things innately. We know that we should control our loves. We know that we should. We know that if we don't, the disaster occurs. And yet, do we actually choose church to set our affection on what God has chosen for us to set our affection on? Is there anything right now that has captured your affection besides Jesus Christ? Is there, and when we say your affection, what's the affection? That's that thing that sort of stirs up. It's sort of, it sort of heats up the blood. It's that thing that you get excited about. Here's the thing in my life that I'm excited about. Is there anything in your life right now that you are more excited about than your relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ? 
say, well, what is that supposed to mean? So you're, you're saying we can't ever be excited about anything, have, have fun? About, no, 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 no. Uh, God's given us all things richly to enjoy. God's given us many good gifts. Uh, God, God is the one who instituted feast days. Uh, so God wants you to enjoy the holiday that you're about to enjoy tomorrow, certainly. But is there anything that's taken the place of your affection or taken first place in your affection? We're going to talk about love under control and hopefully preach a bit about one love under control. The psalmist David, he said, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I, do you remember those next two words, seek after. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He said, I have set my affection. I have set my affection. I say, let's jump in. Let's jump in. I don't know where to start today, so let's just jump in on the first point. All right, that'll be enough introduction for one day. Number one, if you're in the habit of taking notes, I would like you to note this. God has decided what and whom we should love. God has decided what and whom we should love. Does that sound fair? Does that sound, doesn't that sound a bit totalitarian? It, 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 I mean, on its face, certainly it must. Not, not only this, not only this. Please don't, please don't misunderstand this. God has all kinds of commandments for us to follow of actions that we should perform. Okay? God gives us all kinds of commandments of actions we should not perform. Right? And so if you're saying to yourself, great, yeah, I'm just going to do the stuff he says to do and not do the stuff that he says not to do, then I'm all set. No, actually you're not. God, more than he wants your actions, your activities, God actually desires more than anything else, your heart. God wants your heart. And God demands what you should and whom you should and should not love. Can I tell you something? That is totalitarian. That is dictatorial. Here's the thing. There's never been a worthy dictator on this earth, but there is a worthy dictator in heaven. You say, can we just use a different word besides dictator? Sure, I'd be happy to move on. But I will say this. If you're not comfortable acknowledging God as Lord, in other words, if you ever hear that, you know, um, when, I say, when I say jump, you, you ask how high. If, if that sort of rubs you the wrong way when it comes to to your view of God, then you, there's something mixed up in your view of God. You say, so God is just, God just wants to do jumping jacks forever. God just wants us to bow forever. Here's the truth about whom and what God will command us to love. God, first of all, I would like to say, if God so desired, God should be able to tell us to walk on hot coals. Aren't you glad that he doesn't? First of all, let's just, let's just clarify that. But you ever think about that? You know, if God, if it were God's will, if God desired it for you, would you be willing to sell all your possessions and live in poverty in a covent somewhere? If you knew it's what God wanted you to do, would you be willing to do that? See, some of us, we think that people are weird because they go live in a, in a convent somewhere and they take upon themselves vows of, um, vows of poverty and they take a vow of celibacy and we think they're weird. These people are called monks and nuns, and priests. And do you know why what they're doing is strange? It's not because they're willing to do those things. It's because God never commanded them to do that. If God commanded, would we be willing? 
It's really a great question. It's a great question. If you ever hear this, a friend of mine is a missionary and he's heading to the Congo. And I heard him recently say that the, the statement and the feedback they get all the time when they go to a church and they present, say, hey, we're going to the Congo. It's a very dangerous area, very difficult place to live, and very different uh, from where he grew up in Oregon. Uh, you can't get too much different than the Congo in Oregon. Um, and people say, brother, I'm so, gl- I'm so glad you and your family are going to the Congo And you know what they say next, almost without fail, I could never do that. I could never do that. You know, they think that's saying more about the person going to the Congo than it is about them. But it's not. It's not. What are they and what are you willing to do because of your love for the Lord? God commands us both what and whom to love. And why does he do this? Why should we trust God to do this? Let's look at Colossians, please. We're going to jump around just a little bit in the scripture. Colossians, of course, the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, a bunch of those small books in the New Testament, the epistles, Colossians. Here, I'm going to show you, I would like to show you rather than just me saying that God commands our love and our affection, I'd like to show you in scripture where God does so. So it's not just my word against your opinion. But rather, we can both look at the Word of God together. Colossians chapter 3. Let's begin in verse 1. Colossians 3 and verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ. Believer, this is talking to you. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set your, what's the next word? Affection. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. God is telling us, hey, not that. This. Don't, no, 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 no. Don't love that. Not, no, no, a little less of that. This. Say, that is awful bold of God to make those demands on us. You know, it actually gets worse. It gets worse. I'm going to tell you why it gets worse. Have you ever heard, and I've taught this before. I'm going to share some of my own heretical teachings, okay? Uh, I, I don't think I have any in here today, but you, I guess you can be the judge. Uh, let's let the Word of God be the judge. But uh, here, I, I have taught this, and I've heard this taught in the past. You know, God commands us to love one another, right? Does God not command us to love one another, specifically within the body of Christ? I mean, we have the command. We're supposed to actually, like, follow after and pursue and esteem charity, like, greater than any other gift that we could get, right? So charity, love for one another. And I, I, I'm so thankful for the teaching that I've heard, which ended up being wrong. I'm so thankful for the teaching that sort of gave me that out. It's like, the Bible doesn't say you got to like everybody. The Bible doesn't say you got to like everybody. You know, but we're all in the body. You don't have to like your elbow, but you're sure glad it's there, you know? And I'm like, yeah, I can get down with that because there's a bunch of people. I can say I love them, but as long as I don't have to like them, I feel a lot better about the situation. But I have really, really bad news for you. Let's go to the book of Romans. And I just want you, we're not going to turn everywhere, but we've we got to see this in Romans. Because this upset my apple cart in a big way. This is, God is going to reach down into, here's the thing. God doesn't allow us to remain uh, comfortable for very long. And when I say God doesn't allow us to remain comfortable, I don't mean he doesn't let us enjoy life. I mean, he never lets us be content with ourselves. He never lets, God is never done rooting out and weeding the sin in our hearts. Book of Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. And this, again, here's, here's just a verse I wanted to share that upset my apple cart one day. Let love, this is Romans 12 and beginning in verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Now, verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. 
Now, do, it just ruined the whole thing, didn't it? Ruined my whole plan, my whole plan. Because there's a bunch of people that I'm more than happy to love but not like. Actually, matter of fact, the, the list gets longer every day. Um, no, that's, I don't suppose that's true. Maybe it is. It never seems to get shorter anyways. Um, be kindly affectionate one to another. All right, so let's use an illustration for this, okay? How many, you, you, all, you all men here, you're all gentlemen, right? So when you're approaching a door and there's a lady either coming after you or maybe just before you, you're, you're the type that you probably pull the door open and you allow the lady to enter first. Is that right? I believe that's probably the case for most of the men here. You're gentlemen. You think about that. Maybe sometimes it happens. It, you, you didn't think about it. You were listening to something. You, okay, that's fine. But most of the time you would. As a matter of fact, if you want to see people being like really, really kind and really deferential, I encourage you just to stand out there at the front door of the church on a Sunday morning. It is the most hilarious thing. It's people walking up and everyone's sort of at the same time. And like they sort of are both like, well, we, I'm, I'm going to reach for the door. No, I'm going to reach for the door. No, you, okay, good news. There's two doors that we could grab. So then, okay, I'm going to grab the first one, then I'll grab the second one. You see a lot of the, uh, you know, the tit for tat, right? So someone grabs the first one, like, hey, I'll get the next one. I'll get the next one. I'm going to get this covered. Okay, so we do that. Why do, why, why do we really do that? Why do you think it is that we do that? I don't know why you do it, but I know that there are sometimes I do that because I don't want people to think that I'm the kind of guy who wouldn't do it. But I'm probably alone. I'm probably alone in that. But you know what being kindly affectionate one to another and preferring one another is? It's saying, I, not only do I want to get that door for you, I am happy that I got to get the door for you, and I am happy that you get to go before me. Is that the kind of love that you have for the brethren? Well, Pastor Caleb, I mean... Yeah, I mean, I, I love, I open doors. That's not what I said. That's not what I said. Are you looking for the opportunity to help a brother or sister in Christ advance? And are you preferring their joy and their growth even above your own? That's a command from God. You say, this, this actually seems impossible. And maybe you think it seems unfair. How could God command my love in such a way? Well, he is the one who designed this whole thing. He's the one who decided. He's the one who has set in order this thing. But number one, God has decided what and whom we should love. Number two, love unguarded becomes sinful lust. Love unguarded becomes sinful lust. It's actually really terrible and quite terrifying to think that it is a beautiful thing that can turn so horrible. You know that most horror movies... Um, and I'm not a big fan of horror movies, but if you just watch, uh, if you just watch the previews that come on your television, you'll see. Do you know what the most horrifying things are to see and the most horrifying characters are? It's not necessarily, you know, the guy who lives in the woods and he's scruffy and he's got a, you know, a scythe or whatever, and he comes to the neighborhood and he's, you know, killing people. That is, I mean, it's scary. Don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, we in Toledo, we know a bit about that, but no, we don't. But that's, that is scary. I mean, it's, it's disturbing. Get me wrong. But you know what the most terrifying things are? It's like when a child is the bad guy. You know what I'm talking about? Like when a child, like, I've never seen The Exorcist. But man, I've heard stories and I've seen some clips, you know. There's something unsettling about when a child, there's something unsettling about when a child is like the villain, does something disturbing or scary. You know what's become very popular, very popular nowadays is uh, these horror movies where, the, where clowns are the killers. You know, you know why that's disturbing, right? Because a clown is supposed to make you happy. 
How many of you are like, it doesn't matter whether it's a horror clown or a happy clown, they're all terrible clowns? Anybody like that? Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. Bad illustration. Okay. Clowns are always scary. Why is it? Why is it that these things are so disturbing? It's because it has a purpose and it's subverting that purpose. It's going in the opposite direction. You know that love actually does the same thing. There's a risk of love doing the same thing. You know the story, and it's one of the worst stories in Scripture. In 2 Samuel chapter 13 is when Tamar is raped by her brother. But you know what's incredible about that story is, uh, you know what? Let's turn to it. Let's go to 2 Samuel 13. And I'm thankful that the Bible is very uh, chaste in the way that it presents these things. But this is about Amnon and his sister Tamar. And I want, you to, I want you to see something about this, and I'm going to tell you why it's so important that we have our love under control. Why do we need to have our love under control? 2 Samuel 13, verse 1 says, And it came to pass after this that Absalom the son of David had a fair sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon the son of David... Now, look, we're looking at verse 1. What are the last... Would you please read them aloud? The last two words of verse 1. The Bible tells stories and relays people's... Not everything in the Bible is true. And by that, here's what I mean, that if someone tells a lie, the Bible records it accurately. Okay, But just because it says like this collection of words in the Bible doesn't necessarily make it true. It could have been someone lying, someone being dishonest. We have multiple examples of false prophecy being given. But the Bible records these things accurately for us. Okay, So the Bible is accurate. It records untrue things accurately that happen in history. But the incredible thing about this story, so you might look at this and say, well, Amnon never loved Tamar. Amnon, I mean, he never really loved her. Like, this was just lust. What's the word? The word is loved. And for those of you who are like, see, this is where you King James only people, you've got to look in the Hebrew and you've got to look in the Greek. I've got really bad news for you. I looked it up just to be safe. This is the same word. This is the same word that God used in Hebrew that God used when he spoke to Abraham. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. Love. This is love. Amnon loved Tamar. I think we all know, and I've just referenced, what ultimately transpires in this account, in this story. That Amnon, this love that he had, because it was not under control, turned into lust. This is the danger of not controlling our love. You say, well, Pastor Caleb, are you saying that there's people in here who could be candidates for such a horrendous and horrific crime? I hope that is the case. That's not true. But I'm, what I'm trying to point out to you is that when we allow our heart to decide what it will love and how it will love and what's most important, our heart, which is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things, will pick all the wrong targets for its love and will choose every wrong way to get what it wants. Is it not, friends, is it not incredible what the heart can justify? It's incredible what the heart can justify. Now let's talk about other people and not about us real quick, okay? Do you know, you know, the, you know Woody Allen, the Hollywood director, married his stepdaughter? When asked about the uh, sort of the ethical implications of this decision, uh, Woody Allen responded, well, the heart wants what it wants. And you may look at that, and by the way, I do too, and think it's disgusting and wrong. But you know what, I, you know what it also was? It was honest. And you know what it also was? It was true. 
The heart wants what it wants, and the heart will justify things that you cannot even at this point fathom doing in order to get what it wants. Say, well, I'm glad, I'm glad my heart doesn't want anything like that. Whew. Careful. Your heart, left to its own devices, would desire and find its way to many things. Do you ever think about this? I think about this too frequently. You see someone, and you see someone maybe on the street, or maybe you see stories, I'm sure you've all seen these, of places like Los Angeles and San Francisco and Seattle and other places where they have these large homeless encampments on the street. These people are penniless, unhoused, I guess we're supposed to say now. Uh, they're penniless, they're homeless, and yet they're in a constant supply of extremely expensive substances. How is this possible? I'm... I'm going to tell you right now that wealth, a welfare check alone could not keep them, could not keep up with their habits. How is it possible that they continue to find exactly what they want? Because the heart wants what it wants and it will find a way to get what it wants. It will find a way to justify it. It will find a way to obtain it. And this is what your heart and my heart does as well. We say, I want that thing, and the scripture says, hey, you shouldn't love that thing, you should love this instead. And we say, no, no, it's actually a good thing. It's a good thing. It's, it's a good thing that I, that I want this or that I want that. And your heart will lie to you and your heart will deceive you. It's so important, church, that we learn to keep our love under control. So let's talk about other people. Let's talk about us for a minute. You know, I'll say this about our loves. Unguarded love turns good things into gods. Unguarded love turns good things into gods. And it consumes all of our affection. When I was just a lad, just a wee lad, um, you know, it used to be, I would say, you know, I was actually just talking about this with Jared and Ayla over here. Uh, she said something about the year 2012, and I said, you know, that's a, that's a decade ago, but I'm getting to the point where I said, yeah, a couple years ago in 2012. That's sort of the point that I'm reaching, pray for me. I'm having a hard time coming to grips with some of these things that are happening. But about a half a century ago when I was a kid, uh, quarter century. Uh, let's, you know, okay, so it was a long time ago. But we had a, my brother Craig had a Nintendo 64, great, great video game console, and we bought the game the new Tetris. And you're like, oh, Tetris, isn't that a nerd game? I don't know. It was amazing. I started playing Tetris, and I thought I was, by the way, I don't know how good I was. I thought I was pretty awesome at it. I was better than all of my siblings. Since they can't speak now, we'll just, you know, just believe me, okay? But I, I was better than all my siblings at it. But here's the thing that happened with that Tetris game. It was fun. It was a great, you know, it was a great pastime, great uh, to divert your attention. It was good for the winter time. You know, you can't get outside. And, uh, but the problem became I couldn't think about anything but Tetris. I mean to tell you, I'm sitting down to do schoolwork, and all I was doing in my head was I was picturing different scenarios. Okay, so if the, if the screen were set up like this, and the next six pieces were this, 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 and this, then I would do this one here, this one here, this one here. Okay, now I've got to do it faster. Okay, so let's do another scenario. And you say, man, what a loser you were. I'm aware. I'm totally aware. But I, I'm telling you that it got to the point I couldn't pay attention in church. I couldn't pay attention in school. I, could, I couldn't do anything. It was all I could think about. You say, what a loser. What a dork. What a nerd. You know what actually happened there? It, you may have something else that your heart gets set on to. But when our heart gets set on to something that it ought not, it turns something that could be good, and it makes a God out of it. Can I tell you, this is really the danger for young people when it comes to dating. You, you say, 
Yeah, I, you, pre, no one, your preachers don't want anybody to be happy. They're like, yeah, young people, they shouldn't date. They shouldn't, you know, you should wait until this. You should wait until that. I'm going to tell you what the problem becomes. It becomes when the pursuit of a person overtakes your pursuit of God. When becoming, for some people, it actually would be they are in love with their own self-image. And so they will justify and they will spend all kinds of time. They will be consumed with the with the idea and with the task of bettering their own self-image. Can I tell you something? God, God is not against you working out. God is not against you dieting. God is not, I don't know that, maybe God's against you tanning. I don't know. I don't really have a Bible on that. Uh, I, don't think God, I don't think God's against you tanning. I don't think God's against you wearing nice clothing and even jewelry occasionally. Uh, I don't think God's, or all the time. I don't think God's against us having a nice car. I don't think God's against us having a nice house. But what happens is we set our affection on these things and they become our gods. They become our gods. I've been thinking so much about this, and someone maybe can help me with it. You remember what that first remember what the first commandment is in the in the Ten Commandments? Remember what that is? Thou, is it something like thou shalt have no other gods before me? What does that mean? Is God's way? No, just a second. Just a second. Can we just, we just unpack this, tease it out a little bit? So God says, no other gods before me. Does that mean God's okay with you having other gods? What do you think about this? No, I'm serious. What do you think about this? Does, is God okay with you having other gods? Well, he, I, 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 just look at the passage. It seems like maybe he's okay with us, having a, with us having other gods. They just can't be before him. Right? Why are you looking at me like that? Maybe it's because you've already got. Maybe it's because you've already thought about this before I did. Like I'm not the first person who ever showed up here, but I think about this quite often, and I think maybe it's because a god is the thing that has first place. And so when God says you can have no other gods before me, if it's not first place, it's not a god. I think maybe that God is saying those things that occupy your heart and your mind, the thing that has first place, the thing that has the preeminence in your life, that is your God. And he says, you can have no other gods before me. Say, well, I I have some other gods, but I I put them in order. I I have a God, it's my wife. I have a God, it's my family. I have a God, it's my career. I have a God, it's my social standing. I have a God, it's my finances. I have a God, it's my body. I have a God, it's what other people think about me. But it's okay, because I sort of, I put it in order. A God is a thing that nothing else comes before. What in your heart right now is front and center? We must learn, church, we must learn, believer, to control our love. Our love must be under control. Lastly, let's turn to the book of Romans. The book of Romans, lastly, the third point, love. Oh, it's not last. I forgot the second page. Remember that? I have a half page underneath here. Sorry. We're close. Number three, love unyielded leads to destruction. Love unyielded leads to destruction. I'm going to show you something kind of, I think, actually a bit scary in the Scripture. And it is talking about the unsaved uh, so we'll keep that in mind, and yet it can be true of a believer as well who has his conscience seared, I believe. Verse 21, if you look at Romans 1, Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. 
This is Romans 1, verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Verse 24 is where it takes quite a turn. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. God gave them up. God gave them up. Left to its own devices, the heart will lead us to utter destruction. It doesn't say that God deluded them. It doesn't say that God put a lie in their minds. Although there are other places where we'll see similar language to that. This passage right here, talking about when God reveals himself to people, when they don't esteem him the way that they should, they recognize him not as God, they weren't thankful, when they don't esteem God to his proper place, God, God doesn't then just cast them off. God doesn't say, okay, I'm going to destroy you. No, you know what God says? God says, I'll allow you to destroy yourself. Go have whatever you want. Have whatever you want. I bet some of you parents here have experienced this with a child. Let's continue. I want you to see a bit more, if you would. Verse 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26. For this cause, God gave them up unto what? Vile affections. Vile affections. God will allow you to pursue what you want to pursue. And here's the thing. You might say, oh, that's, that's great. You know, some people look at God and they say, the reason I don't want to become a Christian, the reason I don't really want to submit myself to God is because I'm not going to be able to do what I want to do. Can I tell you the truth? You're right. And you say, submitting to a God who tells me what to do and what to love and what to like, you know what that sounds like? That sounds like hell. I don't get to even decide what I love someone else is going to tell me. Can I tell you, you've got that thing completely backwards. Submission to God and submission to his word and submission to his will, that is where peace and joy are. Jesus Christ said he came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Do you know what really is a life that is hell on earth? Is getting exactly what you want. Exactly what you want. So I don't know, I, I would like to try it at least for a while, having exactly what I want, see if I kind of like it. Can I tell you, the streets are littered with people who have gotten exactly what they wanted. And eventually you learn that exactly what you want isn't what you need. You've probably had this with a child. Do you ever have a child who just wanted to do something so badly, just they wanted to do something so badly, and you knew it wasn't best for them, but they just would not stop? I have been that child. And I remember, um, if you can believe it, I was a child, but I can remember being at my grandma's house. She lived on a lake, and uh, I don't remember what month it was. It was probably around Labor Day or something. I don't know. I just remember she lived on a lake. Let's go swimming. Okay, lake equals swimming. And I went to my parents and said, I want to go swimming. Like, oh, Caleb, it's too cold out there. You're not going to have any. You're not going to enjoy it. I, said, I really want to go swimming. I really want to go, really want to go swimming. It's like, no, Caleb, you can't go swimming. It's too cold. It's too cold. It's too cold. Well, somehow I broke my parents down over the span of a day or so. They said, fine, fine. You can go swimming. You can get what you want. And I got, I got all set up and I had my life preserver on, you know, and I went to step out. And as soon as I stepped outside with that life jacket on, it was so cold, and the wind was blowing so hard, and I thought, no, this is what I want. This is what I want. And I remember coming up to the water, and I remember walking out into the water a bit. I don't remember if I ever just, like, completely submerged. But you know what happened in that situation? My parents knew better what I actually wanted than I did. They knew. 
They knew what would make me happy. And at some point, I wanted so badly to have a thing that would not make me happy. They said, okay, help yourself. You can have what you want. You can have a good and hard. And I went out there, and I was utterly miserable, came in in just a few seconds, had to change, you know, just, and then felt like an idiot the rest of the day. And apparently for the rest of my life, I'm obviously still having issues with it. (laughs) You know when your child tells you, I really just want to have that entire 20-ounce Mountain Dew five minutes before I go to bed. (laughs) You know... You know, when they do that, you know they don't really want... You you know that their flesh, their heart wants it, but you know the better version of themselves doesn't want that. I tell you what, it gets real real dangerous, real dangerous around Bible conference around here, especially the last day, like, snack shop. I remember remember Brother Eli last year. You remember, Eli, when you drank all those Fagos? Remember drinking all those Fagos? I remember. I think Eli, I asked him how many he had, and he kept saying the same number, but every time I saw him, it was a different can. And by the end of the night, Eli had had so much Fago. He looked like Fago was coming out of his eyes. I remember saying, Eli, are you sure you want... And he still had a can. He was leaning over a trash can, and he still had an open can of Fago. I said, Eli, are you sure you want to drink that last one? Yes. Okay. You know, we don't always really know what's best for us. When God commands our love... When God says, no, 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 don't love this. No, 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 no. Hey, that's being elevated too much. No, 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 don't love that. Love this. Don't love her. Don't love, nope, not at this time. When God does that, we look at it as though it's binding us. It's freeing us. It's freeing us. What are the restraints and constraints that God's trying to put on your love right now that you're fighting? Most of the time, those constraints are being in the form of authorities. And authority saying, hey, I don't think that's best for you. Young people, this is a pretty easy one. When your heart is going the wrong direction, you'll know it because it's going the opposite direction of your parents. Husbands and wives, you'll know it because it's going the opposite direction of the authority that God has set up in your life. Church member, the pastor is not the ultimate authority in your life, but the pastor is the authority that God has set up in the local church. We're commanded to obey them to have the rule over you. Insofar as you find yourself at odds with the desire of the pastor for your involvement in the church, you will feel constrained. You'll feel constrained. There are all kinds, by the way, there's governmental authority that we're supposed to follow. There's all kinds of authorities that God places in our lives. But where is it that, where's the rub right now? Is it something that you're just, you enjoy consuming? Is it something you enjoy doing? Is it some way that you want to identify and for people to see you? I want you to know this, that love unyielded. If you don't yield your love to God, is going to destroy you. So last, last point, we want to answer this question. What then is the solution? How can we order our loves to avoid the pitfalls of deceit by our wicked heart? Super easy. <laughs> love God and keep his commandments. Number four is love God and keep his commandments. Let's turn to 1 John. This will be the last place we turn. 1 John chapter 5. It's really close to the book of Revelation in the back of the Bible. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. 1 John chapter 5. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to let, I'm going to try to let the scripture do the work on this last point. I'm going to ask you to read it, and I'm going to ask you to take it to heart. And then in just a moment, we'll have a, actually have a time of invitation. Invitation, what does that mean? It means we take a time, a, a, we set apart a specific time where we invite those whom God has spoken to. If God has spoken to your heart, touched your heart, 
at any point from this message, from his word, and God said, hey, that's something that we need to change. That's, something, that's a love that you need to reorder. Here's something that you need to surrender and yield to me. Your heart needs to yield to me on this. Wherever God has done that in your heart, that time of invitation is a chance to talk to the Lord and straighten those things out. So here's the final point. Love God and keep his commandments. First John chapter 5, verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat, and everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. How do you know that your love is out of order? When what you're supposed to do feels like a burden. When what you're supposed to do feels like a burden. How do you know that... Here, I got, I got a fun one for you. I know, I'm, I guess I'm probably not supposed to talk about this, but um, we'll do it anyways. If it hurts to give, if you say... If when you give, you think to yourself, my neighbor, no wonder he can afford that nice lawn and that furniture and that new car. He doesn't have to give like I do. It sounds like the command to give has gotten a little bit grievous to you. Does that make sense? Let's, 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 follow, it. let's follow it some more. Let's follow it some more. If you're driving the speed limit, which we all do, which we all do, within reason, if you're driving the speed limit, and someone, and, and you're just, when you're driving, actually, I, I give, here's a better illustration. I just thought of it on the spot. Let's see how it goes. When you're driving, but the person in front of you is driving the speed limit, how does that make you feel? You see now, you, well, okay, we, we got something here. Let's, let's, when, when you're driving and someone in front of you is driving the speed limit, does that frustrate you? No, it wouldn't frustrate us, would it? Because we were just going to drive the speed limit. <laughs> uh, people that drive under the speed limit, now we're, okay. I'm actually, capital punishment, I think, is a really, really dicey thing. Like, you've got to be very careful because, you know, you could make an error. But for people who drive under the speed limit, I will make an exception. Um, also, people who go slow in the left-hand lane. If I can get, we can just start a petition on that. Okay, what's the, what's the point I'm trying to, what's the truth I'm trying to draw out from this illustration? If doing right grieves you, if it frustrates you, if it grates on you, it's a sign that your love is out of order. The Bible says his commandments are not grievous. One final illustration will be done from the Old Testament. Do you remember when Jacob, uh, when Jacob went and he worked for a man for seven years? Remember he wanted to marry somebody. What was her name? Rachel, right? Rachel. Anyone else confuse Rebecca and Rachel all the time? But it's Rachel. He worked for seven years. She must have been pretty great. Seven years. I mean, you, if you want to call dating work, because some people say dating, you know, dating and marriage, it's work. You know, you've got to stay engaged and, you know, that whole thing. You know, I, I guess you could say I worked for three years for my wife. I guess you could say that. I mean, I didn't really work. But you could say, you know, we dated for about three years. That felt like forever, to be frank. Jacob works for seven years, and what does he get? He gets the ugly sister. He gets the ugly sister. 
I'm sorry, for those who are offended by that term, he gets the tender-eyed sister, okay? Tender-eyed sister. He's mad, and rightfully so. And he goes to his father and says, why did you do this thing to me? You know I worked seven years for your daughter. He goes, oh, no, that's not the way it works around here. It's not the way it works around here. Can you, I mean, for seven years, he could, like, clue him in. Like, hey, just so you know, you're three and a half years in. Just want to let you know. You know you're working for Aaliyah, right? Uh, it wasn't really, really nice to know. And Jacob's like, you know what Jacob did? Sure, he was upset. You know what it really just says? It just says Jacob worked another seven years. And I think the Bible says something to the effect of, and it was like a day to him because of the love that he had for Rachel. As you're laboring and toiling and trying to represent and serve God in this world, does it feel, does it feel like it's taken forever? Does it feel like the expectations are too high? Does it feel like it's too much? If so, you might want to check that your love is properly ordered. Love God and keep his commandments.